hanging half a hundred on him at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! Go! Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. Today, we're talking about the roadmap for recruiting for OU. We've got some new crystal balls that have come in, some predictions across uh, the various recruiting sites. So we'll uh, go in-depth into the top players that OU's going to be looking at there. And, of course, we'll talk uh, some men's basketball, some women's basketball. Uh, We haven't had too many podcasts where we've gone head-to-head with men's basketball with our normal recording time, but uh, that's happening. So we might have a little bit of a live reaction to the BYU game as that uh, hopefully maybe comes to a conclusion while we're actually recording this. But uh, before we dive into all those topics, Tyler, how are you this evening? I'm good, Adam. Obviously, men's basketball currently tied at the half, 34 all with BYU. Football got another commitment coming off of a very productive junior day. Softball gets underway here in two days. Uh, baseball gets underway um, here in about 10 days' time when they take on Oregon to open up the 2024 season. But, you know, Adam, thing, things are good. But um, obviously, I do want to start out tonight's podcast with um, – uh, definitely some sad news. It's a sad day in the world, a sad day for country music, a sad day for the state of Oklahoma. And ultimately it's a sad day for Sooner Nation. You know, I, I think everybody woke up this morning to the news that, um, you know, Toby Keith had, had passed away, um, after his fight with cancer. Um, so yeah, just, just a sad day all around. When you look at, you know, there's, uh, not just the impact that he had on country music, you know, you know, as a, you know, as an American Patriot, but, uh, you know, as an Oklahoma fan, a supporter, um, you know, whether he was on the sidelines for Oklahoma football, courtside for OU men's basketball. If anybody uh, is not on social media, I highly encourage you to get on uh, to to get on X or Twitter. Take a look at what the uh, men's basketball program did, leaving the open chair with the guitar in it and the red solo cup right next to it as well. Uh, but, yeah, just a, a sad day all around, um, you know, the, basically the entire world right now uh, losing Toby. You know, ultimately, Adam, you know, we had an opportunity to kind of meet. Uh, and kind of interact with Toby or with Toby a little bit, you know, during our time at the at the uh, athletic department, stand up guy, and you know, I, I think that many people they see they see Toby's impact on what he did, you know, for you know the country music world. But I think you know when when you look at strictly you know Norman and the University of Oklahoma, you just look at the um, the amount of love and and praise that's come out about the you know the life of Toby Keith, you know from. Uh, people within Oklahoma administration, you know, current and former coaches, former players uh, that have had an opportunity to meet and interact and spend a lot of time around Toby. So, again, it's a very sad day uh, for for Oklahoma fans. Um, and, you know, rest in peace, Toby. Yeah, absolutely. I, I echo all of that. I um, I I hope that there's a, a new tradition that started with football of like honoring Toby Keith with uh, a new song. I think it's what we, we should have done a long time ago. It's It's kind of sad that we didn't do that while he was alive and able to lead us in song in the stadium. But uh, it, it seems like there's movement and uh, momentum to make that happen this fall uh, mm-hmm. with one of his songs, hopefully, you know, like uh, our new tradition, which I think uh, OU fans will really rally around. So I look forward to seeing that uh, from the fan base to honor a guy that did a lot for the state, for the university. Um, I know he, he was very involved with, um, children over at, at OU Children's Hospital. Um, so just an all-around great guy, and you're hearing all the great stories of that coming out today, um, but uh, obviously a, a sad day. So 
Um, definitely want to make sure that we, we paid a little bit of tribute to, to Toby, uh, Keith there today to start off the show. Yeah. So then awkward transition into the rest of the show from here, I guess. Um, we do want to mention the, the sooner sit down, uh, that, uh, Red yeah. Dirt Media is putting on here, I believe February 17th. It's the Saturday after Valentine's day. So, Hey, great Valentine's day gift, uh, you know, for, <laughs> for the couples in your life, this could be really cool. We talk about NIL all the time. Uh, we're probably gonna be talking about NIL with some of the recruiting uh, news that, mm-hmm. and profiles that we're doing here in a moment, but here's your opportunity as an OU fan to, uh, contribute to NIL, but also get something really cool out of it at the same time. They've already announced Jaleel Farouk's going to be there. Uh, Jaden Gibson's going to be there. Justin Harrington's going to be there. What might mm-hmm. that tell you about his potential status going into the 2024 season? Uh, you're going to have, of course, Nick Anderson, Caden Helms, and then Trevor Knight's going to be there as well. So uh, I, there may have even been some guys I missed there, or maybe some guys that they, they haven't announced just yet, but it's an opportunity to have dinner, drinks, uh, do a meet and greet with the players and, and maybe some other things as well. So check it out. It's linked in both the show notes on YouTube and on the podcast, uh, but definitely want to give a shout out to the sooner sit down. Tyler, let's talk a little bit about recruiting here because we've just got a whole bunch of crystal balls for one individual five-star player in Jonah Williams. And it looks like potentially he could be the next commitment for Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I know that that would make a lot of Oklahoma fans, a lot of Oklahoma's coaching staff extremely happy. You're talking about, you know, what would end up being the third straight year that Oklahoma, you know, reaches in onto the defensive side of the football and pulls in a a five-star. So you talk about Peyton Bowen, you talk about David Stone, Jonah Williams would be just the next guy. Uh, and, you know, Brent Venables making this a habit uh, as he transforms Oklahoma's defensive side of the football when, when it comes to recruiting. Uh, but, but yeah, th- this would be huge. I mean, ultimately, anytime that you get some of the key guys that are in the media space that cover recruiting for a living, you know, like your Josh McQuistians, you know, some of the other guys, both on Rivals, on three and two, four, seven sports, then ultimately Oklahoma is doing something right. They're pushing the right buttons. Uh, we know that, um, uh, that, that the baseball staff, uh, ha- has gone a long way and ultimately this kid who you know he wants to be a two-way athlete uh, at uh, you know at the next level so they're pushing all the right buttons right now and you just ultimately hope that with a kid like this Adam that is as highly touted as Jonah Williams is a six foot three 200 plus pound you know safety you know th- this is a type of recruitment this is a, you know a top 15 guy in the country and you know regardless of how well you might feel that you currently sit with this kid um, you know, in the <laughs> with your standing uh, and getting him to join your football program, this is ultimately going to be a recruitment that goes all the way to National Signing Day because you're anytime that you're a top two or three, you know, uh, safety uh, in the country, then you know, the, make no mistake about it, the Alabamas, Georgias, Ohio States, there's going to be no backing off just because they think that one program kind of has a little bit, you know, a little bit of a leg up right now uh, with this kid's recruitment. But you're talking about a guy that could come in and would probably be. The, the next closest thing to an Isaiah Simmons that Brent Venables has had. Uh, so coming into, you know, what's going to be his third season, you know, running Oklahoma's defense, if you're able to pull in a guy like Jonah Williams, you know, coming in from day one is going to have the opportunity, not just from a, you know, a, um, you know, a mindset, being able to, you know, have a, such a high football IQ, but he already has all the physical tools. He comes in, he's day one ready, and he's just now going into his senior year of playing football. So, uh, if you could, uh, if there's a number one target right now for Oklahoma fans, uh, it's gotta be Jonah Williams. 
We talked two weeks ago with Parker Thune from Rivals, uh, OUinsider.com, and he mentioned that Kobe Sellers was probably the most likely next commit. Uh, we actually got one from mm -hmm. Ryan Foji, who we'll talk about here in a second. But it, now yeah. it seems like Jonah Williams may be potentially passing the timeline of even Kobe Sellers, and maybe we could see Jonah Williams committing here very shortly. But uh, again, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, this is something that, although it does feel like OU's way out in front. I mean, he's obviously uh, got a lot of crystal balls in there. So you have to think that he's very strongly considering committing to OU publicly. But um, so there is some distance between OU and anyone else, but you definitely, uh, I agree with you there. That it is going to be something where you battle all the way to the end because he's the type of player that no one's going to let up on the same way that OU never let up mm -hmm. on Peyton mm -hmm. Bowen. Uh, and speaking of Peyton Bowen, uh, there's a guy that, now you have two straight classes of getting five stars. You mentioned this uh, hasn't happened in a really long time that OU's gotten three straight classes with five stars on the defensive side of the ball. I put this mm -hmm. out on Twitter. Not very many people were, were brave enough to even guess or answer who that might have happened to previously. Um, I'll give you the range. I think one of these will be very, very easy for you to guess, Tyler. But I'm curious if you know any of these other names. 2001 through 2003, OU got back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back classes with a five-star on the defensive side of the ball. Can you name any of them? Ooh, 2001 to 2003. Ooh. One of them I think is, is fairly obvious. The other two, pretty tough. You're going to have to help me out here because the ones that I'm thinking about, these were pre-Bob Stoops, kind of the John Blake 1999 class, or maybe the first class that Bob Stoops brought on campus. My first thought was Roy Williams, but he was already on campus there. Yeah. Is it I don't even know Doug if they had five stars Dusty? that long ago. No, it's it's going to be Tommy Harris in 2001. Okay. Zach Latimer, the linebacker in 2002. And some people had Jason Carter, the defensive back, also as a five-star. And then mm -hmm. in 2003, Tony Cade, the safety. I know that if, you, if you're an old head, um, this, I was like 10 when that happened, so I don't remember recruiting yeah. that much at all. Um, but some people probably watching or listening will remember that name as a guy that uh, had, you know, everyone had very high hopes for and, and didn't necessarily mm -hmm. pan out the way, um, you know, things are going. But I think that speaks, you know, quite a bit to the way this defense is trending and the way OU's turning mm -hmm. things around with some of these really, really elite guys. Uh, and then there's a whole plethora of extremely high four stars, top 150, top 250 type of guys. So the talent level is changing dramatically uh, mm -hmm. in front of our eyes. And so it, again, it, we all know that defense is changing, but I think this is just one easy way to look at that and go, okay, if oh, you can close the deal with Jonah yeah. Williams, like that's something really tangible to grasp onto because <laughs> there's rankings on that. Um, it's not just, uh, you know, performance on the field, which we did see improvement mm -hmm. on, but it's still an unfinished product there. So I think you like that. I think the 2025, th this class is going to be interesting. Ultimately, once we put a bow on it uh, to really try to evaluate where Brent Venables and this coaching staff have really made up a lot of ground by comparison to the last, you know, four or five years where Oklahoma's recruiting classes on this roster has really been, uh, you know, lacking in, in some key areas. And, you know, Parker talked about it during our interview a couple of weeks ago where he really highlighted the fact that uh, this is going to be a, a, a recruiting class that you're not going to see 28 to 32 guys uh, like we've seen from the, you know, possibly the last couple of classes due to COVID, some of the extra scholarships that were able to be handed out. This is going to be a class where Oklahoma is probably realistically going to be looking anywhere from about 19 to maybe 23 guys. So Oklahoma has an opportunity to be very selective, uh, which means they also have to be very careful because ultimately if you're going to be that selective on some of these recruits, you want to nail them because you're, you know, you don't want to burn any bridges with some, you know, plan B type of guys. Uh, but make no mistake about it. This is going to be an opportunity where 
going into year three of recruiting for Brent Venables, where, where you know, the, the philosophy of him and his coaching staff is always being talked about, you know, building relationships, uh, you know, cr- building a culture, creating a family uh, atmosphere, you know, that's led by the sole mission. Uh, at the forefront, I think that this is going to really be an opportunity where Oklahoma is going to have a chance to land a couple of players that you might not have seen them do a few years ago. And I think that that goes back to, you know, the vision of Brent Venables, the recruiting philosophy, the culture that's being built and the NIL game coming into uh, coming into play as well. Because anytime that you're only signing 18 to 22 kids as opposed to 30 then ultimately that NIL um, opportunity for that recruiting class, uh, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a chance to really um, kind of throw a more uh, a few more pennies in the pot for some of these other guys as opposed to having to spread it out across so many players uh, that that are you know are part of your recruiting class. So Jonah Williams will be a fantastic um, addition to this recruiting class. Kobe Sellers, another one, Adam, like you alluded to, you briefly mentioned, really good tight relationship with Jay Valai. Uh, he's got some, you know, m- mutual interest from, you know, programs like Texas, like Baylor, uh, and a couple other SEC schools that Oklahoma is going to be competing with against. Now, Kobe's a guy that you, you like. You said uh, he was a guy that o- Oklahoma thought, okay, this is your next guy that's going to pop. This is the next guy that's going to join the 2025 class. Now it kind of feels like he and Jonah Williams are kind of battling neck and neck with who's going to take that next spot for Oklahoma. Uh, but it just, it, it's just so refreshing to talk about elite level guys in the secondary. And that's you got to give a lot of credit to you got to give a lot of credit to Jay Valai, to Brandon Hall, to Brent, and now Zach Alley, who's going to have a huge hand in this as well, uh, to to the huge turnaround and how that Oklahoma safety recruiting has gone from being a liability to being a real strength of this coaching staff as they continue to upgrade the talent on this roster in the back end of that defense. Kobe, a guy that you see if you're watching on YouTube, is uh, played a lot of quarterback in high school. Um, yep. I believe I don't know if he'll continue to do that in his his final year there, but um, he's a guy that obviously has a lot of skills. And we'll see, you know, different guys throughout these highlights that are playing different sports. I think that says a lot about um, their abilities as an athlete. I think that's something those coaches are looking for mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But Kobe's another one of those guys that you know he's a, a top uh, 150 cornerback in pretty much every recruiting service you look at, except for rivals. Uh, everywhere else, he's top 150 there. So that's just you adding. You're, you're adding guys like that constantly. So you you really are building that competitive depth where you're going to look at this cornerback room in a year and you're going to go, okay, Macari Vickers might be the starter, backed up by former top 150 Jacoby Johnson backed up by uh, former top 150 Kobe Sellers. And it, the depth there is just going to be um, pretty mm-hmm. crazy. And and with Sellers, I feel like it's kind of just a matter of when, not if. Um, but you look at where he comes from, and same thing with Jonah Williams, two guys from the greater Houston area that mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily because of where A&M sits at this point or if it's the fact that uh, Brent Venables has a, a much better head start on relationships with these guys than anyone uh, at A&M or maybe even potentially Texas. But um, Brent Venables is going down there and he's pulling some of the elite guys out of that Houston area, which has traditionally been a little bit of a struggle for OU. So uh, you, mm-hmm. you certainly love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's transition to a guy that made it out of the weekend as the newest commit for Oklahoma's 2025 class, and that is uh, three-star offensive lineman Ryan Foje uh, out of Bridgeland uh, over in Cypress, Texas, six foot five. 275 pounds, the 10th commit of this recruiting class, uh, which is currently ranked in the top 10 right now, according to on three rankings. Adam, I know he's a three star, but when you've got the programs uh, like a Texas and Oregon, Texas A&M, Tennessee, 
that, that are that you know have offered this kid that are heavily recruiting him. Anytime that Bill Beanbow is able to pull out a guy like this uh, from you know the greater you know Houston DFW area, this is a huge win for Oklahoma. Uh, and again, I know people, they see the three star, they see that, you know, according to on three's rankings, he's ranked outside of the top 300 people automatically think, okay, well, three star you, this is what we've grown to expect. But I, I just kind of want to remind fans, you know, when you look at the track record of Bill Beanball, uh, he's some of his best recruits, some of his best guys that are playing in the NFL right now started out as three stars uh, and they come to Oklahoma, they're good, they're developed. And, you know, this has an opportunity for, you know, Ryan to be the next guy. And my last little thing on this, Adam, with regards to I see a lot of things on social media time and time again. We're talking about the lack of talent uh, talent that Oklahoma is bringing in on the offensive line. You look at guys like Eugene Brooks, Eddie Pierre-Louis, Daniel Akinkumi. These were guys that in February of last year, they didn't finish as high up on the recruiting ranking boards as they did once signing day came around. So you got to trust the evaluation. Bill Beanbow, he knows talent. He knows what it takes. He knows what an offensive lineman going into his senior year of high school uh, that he wants to be playing for him someday. He knows what that looks like. So trust Bill, trust the evaluation. I think that this is a really, really good pickup for Oklahoma. Excited to have Ryan as a part of this class uh, for 2025. Yeah, I think you definitely have to take uh, some of the rankings with a grain of salt, considering that in some scenarios, it's a guy that doesn't go out to all the camps, so he doesn't get seen by the scouts as much and therefore doesn't get as high of a ranking. Uh, I'm not saying that's the case with Foje here, but uh, there's just different things that go into the equation there that could potentially change the ranking. But you look at, okay, well, if Oregon's recruiting, if A&M's recruiting, if OU's recruiting, if Texas is recruiting, like... Okay, <laughs> like that's enough. That should tell you a little bit that maybe this guy is slightly underrated. Maybe he's going to be someone that develops over time. Offensive line is is one of the toughest, uh, you know, positions to really evaluate. You look mm-hmm. at those those. Uh, there's always an article every year that says, okay, here's what the hit rate is. If you're a five star player, then yeah, I don't. I'm making up numbers. You have like a twenty percent chance at the NFL. If you're a four star, you have a ten percent chance, and like three star, you have like a one percent mm-hmm. chance. Something mm-hmm. like that usually comes out every year, especially uh, during the draft, during the Super Bowl, and so on and so forth. And so offensive line is probably the weakest position as far as correlation from star ranking to actually playing in the NFL, but it still holds true. Like there's still value in those, those higher ranked guys, but I, I don't, I yeah. think you can, you can overlook that in to some level, not, not completely, but to some level when it comes to offensive line. When you talk about it as a whole, when you play the percentage game, yes, five, five stars ultimately coming out of high school, they have a much higher ceiling and much better chance to make it to the NFL someday. But Again, for Oklahoma fans that you want to just use a couple of, you know, a couple of examples from recent, you know, recent, you talk about Bray Walker, one of the most highly touted five-star kids coming out of high school, barely even sniffed the field at Oklahoma. He ended up transferring to a to, to a group of five program, uh, but before his career was over. And then another one you want to talk about on the defensive side of the football, we talk about the sledgehammer, we talk about Brendan Radley Hiles, uh, and and again, okay. star, stars <laughs> don't always matter. Trust your coaches, trust the evaluations, trust the development of these guys once they get into a college strength and conditioning program with Jerry Schmidt, uh, with their position coaches, and we'll see where it takes us from there. Adam, let's talk offensive tackle because the two big names that are still out there for Bill Beanbow and for this Oklahoma recruiting class, they're still out there on the board, remaining uncommitted. And We're talking Lamont Rogers. We're talking Michael Fasusi. What can Oklahoma fans expect with these two guys? Yeah, Michael Fasusi, uh, we're checking out him. He's front, uh, I guess, front squatting, 405 pounds. I think this is a little bit of an old video here, so I'm sure he's, he's well past that for those watching on YouTube. But uh, so 
just to be clear with Ryan Foje, stars don't matter with Michael Fasusi stars absolutely matter. So, um, well, this is a guy that's a five-star. He's just down the road in Louisville, uh, from Oklahoma. He didn't, he hasn't visited Oklahoma recently, like Lamont Rogers or some of these other uh, elite offensive linemen, uh, have, but by all accounts, it sounds like OU's still very much near the top of his list. And, uh, we'll see how long it takes him to commit. I don't think there's really any timeline out there as far as when people might expect that to, to take place. But he's a guy that I think I think you look at Foje's commitment and you go, okay, this guy visited for junior day and committed pretty quickly. Didn't wait for his edit, just put mm-hmm. up some pictures, kind of old school almost in the way he committed. And I think that has a lot to do with a guy like Fasusi, who maybe there's, I think he kind of sees the writing on the wall of like, I got to get in. I got to make sure I'm a part of the same class with Fasusi. Yep. And maybe even Lamont Rogers, for example, there. And there's some other elite guys out there um, that we probably don't have time to cover today. We'll, we'll cover them on a future episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, you look at the athleticism of a Fasusi or a, or even a Lamont Rogers that we'll see here in a high uh, high school basketball game throwing it down. Uh, I think he saw the writing on the wall and was like, "Hey, I gotta make sure I've got my particular spot reserved uh, before this class fills up with some really elite uh, offensive linemen." Yeah, absolutely, Adam. You hit the nail on the head. I know that there's a lot of conversations going on by sources behind the scenes that think that Oklahoma stands in a really good position with both of these guys. And, you know, when you when you look at what Oklahoma did in the last class of 2024, when there was really one position group that was of key need that they had to absolutely blow it out of the water, and that was the defensive line group. So what do you do if you're Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates? You go out there and you get a David Stone, Jane Jackson, Nigel Smith, Wyatt Gilmore, Danny Okoye, the same level of focus and attention is going to be put on the offensive line class for 2025 because once you know when you look at what Oklahoma is really having to do this upcoming season rebuilding the entire starting five offensive line maybe outside of Jacob Sexton you know you can't rely consistently rely upon uh, the transfer portal to ultimately, you know, be the foundation uh, of your of your roster year in and year out. So again, like we talked about with the defensive line class, you you, you look at Michael Fasusi, you look at Lamont Rogers, both guys, you know, six foot five plus, three hundred plus pounds, both top ten ta- uh, tackles, uh, you know, in the in the 2025 class. These are two guys that, especially because of the fact that they're just two and a half to three hours down the road in the greater DFW area, a place that's been so good to Oklahoma over the last 25 years, you know, Bill has got to find a way to land one or one of these two guys uh, when ultimately the pin hits the paper here in the month of December. But I like where Oklahoma stands with uh, or where they currently sit with both of these guys. It's just a matter of, you know, running the race and uh, see if you can't be the one that pulls ahead at the finish line. Two weeks ago, Parker Thune uh, told us that we shouldn't get our hopes up for Caleb Cunningham, the five-star wide receiver out of Mississippi. Andrew Marsh, still a name out there on the wide receiver front that I'm sure you would would also potentially love to take. But right now, you've got three wide receivers committed in Jaden Nickens, Elijah Thomas, and Grayson Harris, the two-sport athlete there that's coming in in 2025. Manuel Choice recently visited. We won't profile him too much on this episode. We'll probably save that for a future time mm-hmm. there. But sounds like he is very high on the list there of potentially committing soon. So a name that we haven't talked about a whole lot, but is still out there, Isaiah Mosey. <laughs> I know Lee Summit North isn't uh, the most friendly <laughs> name to hear on the show at this point, but like it feels like there's maybe one spot left unless a Cunningham or a Marsh is, is actually realistic about OU. 
Yeah, Cunningham, Marsh, Choice, those have been the three names that have been the most talked about uh, within the last couple of weeks. Honestly, Isaiah Mosey's a name that I'd kind of forgotten about, which is kind of tough to say when you talk about the number one overall player in the state of Missouri. And I know that a lot of people think that Oklahoma still sits in a really good position for Isaiah. And we'll see We'll see what happens. If there's anything that we know, Lee Summit North always provides uh, a little bit of entertainment and fireworks when it comes to you know re- recruits in the University of Oklahoma. I still think that Missouri – because of proximity, because of how they play the NIL game, especially with Luther Burden having the type of impact that he's had in a Tiger uniform, if you're Isaiah Mosey, I mean, playing for the home state team uh, up there in Columbia, that's ultimately got to be pretty challenging, pretty tough to try to turn that down. But make no mistake about it, I I love Oklahoma's, you know, 2025 commits in that wide receiver room. Emma Jones um, strikes lightning in a bottle once again. What a surprise. So, I, I'm not worried about this. Who, whoever decides to be the one to pull the trigger to take that fourth and final spot uh, for Oklahoma's wide receiver core, um, it's going to be a really good player. Um, but again, you got three to four guys and only one spot left, so somebody's got to jump up and take it. I think with Mosey, like, yes, he's a very good player. He's a top 200 ranked guy. He's an OU legacy. I think you'd you'd like to be able to say hey, Missouri, like, this isn't your territory. This is our territory. We're the SEC program in Kansas City, and you can deal with it. It's a little tough when they get $12 million donated to their NIL funds just yesterday on a single donor alone. So that's more than what uh, I think Gabe Eichert had mentioned uh, maybe a month or so back on the Oklahoma breakdown of what his actual budget was for, I don't know if that was just for football or or for all of sports necessarily, but – yeah, single donation to uh, Missouri yesterday outdoes all of that entirely. Yeah. So, so that's just my thinking is like, yes, Isaiah Mosey, very good, but like I think we can – wide receiver is not – it's not the position that quarterback or defensive tackle is where there's only a few rare guys that can do that. There's tons mm-hmm. of wide receivers out there that could accomplish what Mosey could on the field, but um, I just want to be able to say like back off Mizzou. Like <laughs> go, go sure. sit at the little kid's table where you belong is, is what I want to say as the OU fan. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, oh, that sorry, game up in no. I was just gonna say that that game up in Columbia uh, next fall. That's gonna have a little extra juice to it uh, for for both teams and both fan bases. So if you're traveling up to Columbia, uh, tread lightly. It's gonna be pretty hostile. Let's talk about the tight end position. So Oklahoma's got really two two or three guys. I think they're really focusing on these first two. Oh, that should have said uh, Nate Roberts there on that text, but. Uh, Nate Roberts here in the initial text here. Oh, you going up against Ohio State, and then the uh, basketball clip. I think it's at the end of this uh, this one here mm-hmm. will be Lincoln Cure out of uh, very far west Kansas. So going up against K State, uh, very much a, uh, a Wildcats territory here. Getting the reverse dunk is Lincoln Cure in this particular clip. So he's got a couple of guys that uh, they could potentially add to the tight end class here. Yeah, and I know that a lot of a lot of the attention uh, has been given to Nate Roberts and rightfully slow. You know, so he lives 15 miles away from the Oklahoma campus in the small town of Washington, a top, you know, top five tight end in the country. And I know that everybody feels like this is an Ohio State Oklahoma battle. And uh, you know, if you read the tea leaves, if you follow the crystal balls, it ultimately looks like Ohio State is the clear front runner right now. Uh, but if you listen to, you know, again, some of the guys that follow recruiting for a living, some of the guys that are inside the Switzer Center, they still feel like they're in a good standing with Nate Roberts, you know, ultimately with his brother Jake, you know, b- being part of the program uh, ultimately right now as well. Um, again, I, I'm not 
let's revisit this conversation here in about another three to four months and we'll see where this is ultimately at once you know summer workouts are underway and we get into uh, kind of the opening um, session of uh, a fall camp but uh, Lincoln Cure ultimately you know he's coming off of a visit to Oklahoma this past weekend for junior day kid out of Goodland Kansas uh, he's currently ranked as the number two overall uh, tight end in the country uh, ultimately when you look at this kid's frame not as imposing not of the same size and stature uh, or as built as Nate Roberts is right now but you look at this kid you j- just go watch the tape that's all I'm gonna say go find this kid's huddle profile watch his highlights from this past season probably the most athletic tight end that we've seen Oklahoma be a you know a serious player in since Mark Andrews maybe Grant Calcaterra would be another one as well um, you know, ultimately he doesn't have the same size and build as a Nate Roberts or even a Devon Mitchell, but, you know, make no mistake about it. This, I mean, this kid has an opportunity to be a matchup nightmare and Jerry Schmidt, ultimately looking at this kid, you see the frame, you see the opportunity to where you could really pack on maybe 30, 40 pounds on this kid. By the time he leaves Oklahoma, if, 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 if Oklahoma is able to land either one of these guys, that's a huge win for Joe John Finley, uh, in this offense moving forward. Yeah, Lincoln Cure, a guy that is uh, basically top 50 uh, when you look at the consensus there, ranked 42nd on on three, 38th on, on 247. Yep. Rivals has him the lowest at 66. So this is an elite guy, um, especially when you look at, okay, where is he? He's he's way out in the middle of nowhere, Western Kansas. It's not like he's people are able to get out and see his games or that he's even playing necessarily like the highest level of competition out there. So mm-hmm. I think that says a lot. And Danny Okoye is an example of that, you know, a year ago that like, I think he struggled to go up the rankings a little bit just because he was playing 2A ball for a homeschool association, which um, there's no shame in doing that uh, because I played in homeschool league when I was growing up too. Uh, much, is. much there lesser competition, but um, <laughs> not even close to 2A. But um, but I, I yeah, I think that says a lot that like he's being noticed and he's way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Western Kansas. So uh, I yeah, he's definitely a guy that you would love to add to this particular class if you can beat out the Wildcats. Absolutely. And anytime that you're competing against the Wildcats or even the Jayhawks, for that matter, for an in-state kid, you know, ultimately you've got, you know, you've got your hands uh, filled. But one of the things that Oklahoma does have working for him is Brent Venables and his relationships with high school coaches in the state of Kansas, you know, because, you know, that's what Brent's background is, you know, from his very early days growing up in the state of Kansas and coaching for Bill Snyder at K-State before he ultimately jumped ship to, to come coach under Bob. So Oklahoma, even though they are fighting an uphill battle going against, you know, the in-state school, um, I think Brent's got a couple tricks up his sleeve that uh, we'll, we'll see how this thing plays out as we get closer to the fall. We're going to talk a lot more about recruiting here in the offseason. We kind of got away from that during the season because obviously there's games on the field, but sure. um, there's a lot happening with recruiting here in the offseason. So we'll continue that conversation. Um, that's just kind of the roadmap for now. Some of the top names that we wanted to make sure we, we profiled mm-hmm. and highlighted at least where they stood um, and probably OU's top targets there. So let's transition a little bit here to women's basketball because they're absolutely on fire. They deserve their kudos and we haven't spent enough time talking about them so far this season. So uh, man, Jenny Baranchek's got this team playing well, beating OSU up in Stillwater right after being the number two team in the country. I don't care that their best player wasn't playing uh, and that, you know, a game or two after beating a top 10 Texas program. So mm-hmm. absolutely insane uh, last couple of weeks for uh, Jenny and the girls. Yeah, in terms of the short list of the hottest programs in the country right now for women's college basketball, Oklahoma is definitely near the top of this. The last four wins, the clue two on the road against top 25 teams. You knock off a 
the number two team in the country at the LNC, and then you come off of a road win in Stillwater, uh, a game that was a very, very entertaining, very good to watch going back and forth well late into the second half. So, again, this is a team that's 15-6. and six. They started 6-0, and oh, Adam, and then they kind of went through a little bit of a rough patch, losing five of their next six, but then Jenny was able to get the ship righted. Uh, they were able to f- really find some good momentum as they tr- uh, you know moved into conference play, and here we are uh, on February 6th. Oklahoma's won nine of their last ten, and they're tied for first in the Big 12 Conference. So, uh, again, fantastic job. Jenny Baranchek, she's the best basketball coach in the state of Oklahoma right now, men's or women's. So, uh, it's really, really impressive what she continues to do and you know, such a short amount of time since she's taken over as the head women's basketball coach. But, you know, th- this is a huge opportunity. You, um, you've got the game against uh, TCU. Would they come to the LNC tomorrow night at home? Uh, I highly encourage all of you fans, if you don't have anything to do or you even do have something to do, move cancel those plans it. to the side, <laughs> cancel those plans, get out to the LNC, support Jenny and the girls. Uh, they are on absolute fire right now, and they're a hell of a lot of fun to watch. They are. I mean, the way they launch threes is is crazy. And I had a lot of questions about this team coming in this year because you lose that senior trio of Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, and Ana Yunusa. And then yep. Liz Scott goes down with a season-ending injury before a, a game is even played. So really, you're just left with pretty much Skylar Van and, and Aubrey Jones, who contributed a little bit last year, but really not a whole lot of returning players. And now you look at, okay, you're getting key contributions out of Lexi Keys, who's hitting over 50% from three over her last five games. Uh, you've got uh, Peyton uh, Verholz, the uh, transfer from Louisville, who's scoring in double digits on a regular basis. You've got yep. Sahara Williams, the the true freshman, who's she's come in, she's been a hit. She's uh, scoring quite a bit in the low post there. So you love the the contributions you're getting because that's drawing a lot of uh, attention away from uh, Skylar Van, who is really uh, just feeding in the low post right now, getting mm-hmm. over 20 points four out of the last five games as well. So absolutely surging right now. And you're starting to see the reward, not as much as I think we would like to as fans because they only just now entered the top 25, going up to number 24. Still only a nine seed in the bracketology projections. Um, and that's really because... Yeah, you lose to Southern, that's really going to hurt you, and you don't have a whole lot of quality wins outside of K-State, Texas, and then beating Ole Miss way back in, I think, game two of the year. So there's not a whole lot of opportunities to continue to bolster that. just got to beat all these teams that they really don't, you know, if, if you're a top team, you don't have business losing to TCU or, or Oklahoma State uh, when, mm-hmm. when they return to uh, Bedlam and Norman later on in the year. But so really it's, hey, a week from now, uh, February 14th on Wednesday, it's the pink game. It's Baylor at home. Uh, like that's going to be a huge opportunity for them to bolster the resume. Right after that, they go on the road to Morgantown to play a, a West Virginia team that is currently uh, projected in the field as well. So those are your two opportunities. Uh, really, the rest of the year to to bolster that resume, try to make a strong run in the tur- in the uh, Big 12 tournament, set yourself up for success with some good seating in the in the uh, March Madness. There. On the flip side, Adam, we talked about the good with the women's program. Let's talk Porter Moser squad over at the LNC, the men's basketball team, 16 and six overall record looks really good on paper, despite four and five currently in big 12 play. They're currently up 50 to 46 with 10 minutes to go in the second half at home against BYU will be a really nice top 25 win, a chance for Oklahoma to get, you know, kind of get back on track after what was just an abysmal performance down in Orlando against UCF. Adam, what's kind of your vibe on this team right now? And if you want to even talk big picture, what's a measured reaction to this team and Porter Mosier uh, as he is, currently sits uh, as the head coach of this basketball team? 
I wanted to ask your measured response because I don't know if I have one as far well, as the I, I mean, goes. I can I can well, kind of give you my thoughts on it while you think let, on it. Let or... me give them the benefit of the doubt because we're recording this as they're playing BYU, which, by the way, love BYU's uniforms. Looks old school. They yeah. look slow. They they just look fundamental. I love those uniforms. So um, kudos to the Cougars for that. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Say that OU pulls it off. Um, here's an opportunity, really, to turn things around and change the narrative around the, the programming mm-hmm. team right now because you have two games at home this week. BYU, currently, most people maybe will watch or listen to this you know, after the fact. They'll know the result of that. If OU doesn't pull that out, alarm bells, in my opinion. Then you play Oklahoma State at home. You've got a sold-out crowd coming for that one. Cowboys, not a very good team. Like, you absolutely nope. have to win that one. You can't continue to drop home games. It's nice that they they have won two two road games in the Big 12 so far. That's mm-hmm. not been an easy thing for this program over the last couple of years. It, it, it's frustrating because we, we've talked about previously, okay, there's not a whole lot of tournament experience on this team. So what's it going to look like when things get tough? And we've seen things get tough, and we haven't seen – them come out with the energy necessary or um, you know the clean play of not turning the ball over like we saw against UCF they turned the ball over like what four out of the first five possessions or something yep. like that so you just wonder okay where's the leadership from this team is it Sam Godwin who's really struggled offensively especially in big 12 play and that was a question we talked about too before we got into the conference play was that okay we like what Sam Godwin is we liked him as a backup last year now he's being asked to do his starter minutes and then John mm-hmm. John Hughley is a guy that you know, he's solid, but you, you look across at the other bench every single night in the Big 12, a taller, bigger, more athletic post player every single night. It's been like that for a decade for this Oklahoma program. So I, I feel like things are teetering on the edge here. You know, that would be a fun trivia question as well, Adam, which it would be pretty subjective. But when was the last time that Oklahoma basketball took the court and had the superior big man? In a, in a conference basketball game. I think you'd probably have to go back to what the Ryan Spangler days. And, and he even really, he was he was smaller. he was not even a true center. Yeah. I mean he was no. like what six, six, six eight, like six, six nine. Six yeah, nine. Best, so yeah. but but yeah, I mean this is I, I don't wanna I don't want to crucify Porter because I think the Porter's doing a pretty good job. And I think that a lot of Oklahoma fans were guilty, us included, or at least I know I was kind of moving the goalpost when talking about expectations after you look at how well this team started uh, you know, started the year off. But this is a typical Oklahoma basketball team that starts the year off strong. And then once you get into the grind of Big 12 play, and you know you, they start to fall off, Adam, once you get into late January, early February. And you know I know that Porter is in year three. And make no mistake about it, I think that it has been better. You can definitely see some signs of positive change, whether it's the roster development, the recruiting at an extremely high level. Uh, probably the best that they've recruited in the last six to seven years. But two things that that really stick out for me when you look at this Oklahoma basketball team, the half-court offense is putrid. It's so frustrating to watch them when they're forced to run their offense in the half-court because I'm not even sure I know what Oklahoma's offensive identity is when they're not able to get out in transition and score some fast break points. And really the other key thing for me, Oklahoma, they, they need a difference maker or an impact player, whether that's from the high school recruiting ranks or in the transfer portal. And Oklahoma just simply hasn't been able to do that. And I'm not sitting here saying that Porter hasn't done a really good job with, you know, uh, overturning this roster because, you, you know, you look at some of these guys, I take a, Oh, wait, you know, uh, Jaden McCollum, you know, uh, Jalen Moore, 
you know, guys that are extremely well talented. But once you get into Big 12 play, recruiting some of these guys that are coming from lower tier programs and expecting them to play at the same t- uh, caliber of level that they did at their old schools when you're going up against the, you know, the grind of the Big 12 opponents, that's not something that we're seeing them do so far uh, th- this season. And the best years of Oklahoma basketball, Adam, have been the ones where they've had a star player on the national level. And you just go back to the last 20, you know, 20 years. Uh, Hollis Price, Blake Griffin, Buddy Heald, Trey Young. Oklahoma just simply doesn't have that right now. And while they do have some nice pieces on this roster, McCollum, Moore, Owe, they're still behind the rest of the field when you compare them to the upper echelon of teams in the Big 12 Conference. And, um, you know, we, we can talk about needing the new arena. Would that make a difference? I don't know. Probably so. But at the end of the day, a new arena is not going to have any bearing on how well this basketball team plays night in and night out. Yeah, it's it's a puzzling that Porter Moser doesn't get a better half court offense because that's what Loyola had to do when he was there. That uh, severe talent disadvantage, and they were yep. uh, schooling teams with fundamentals and great sets uh, in March Madness. So that's that's puzzling to me. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people look at Moser, and I think some people have the same perspective you do that okay, things are improving. But also, I feel like some of the reasons we are where we are is is because of not moving on from the Groves brothers or not recruiting over them or not developing or putting them in the best position uh, to be successful. The, so, J- Jacob Groves is having a hell of a season at Virginia right now. He's averaging over, he? 17, okay. over 17 a game. So Well, so so is that Porter didn't get the most out of him? Did he not put him in the best position to succeed? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So... I don't know. At the end of the day, like missing the tournament three straight years would be pretty awful. Now we're it's not a there huge yet. Indictment. Yeah, there's. Oh, it looks like OU's you know still hanging on tough here as we record live, but um, they're teetering. Like if if OU's not able to beat BYU, then man, you're looking in rough shape because the schedule's just going to get more and more difficult. We still have not yet seen this team be able to right the ship whatsoever. So. It's yeah. a dangerous predicament to be in. And I've I've always been pretty consistent that I think OU is a program that once every four years, you should make the Sweet 16. Once every eight to 10 years, you should make a Final Four. And then pretty much every other year, you should make the NCAA tournament. And maybe like one of those 10 out of the 10 years, you miss. I think that's reasonable expectations for Oklahoma as a basketball program. It's not elite. It's pretty good. You're probably top 25 a lot of mm-hmm. years. Some years you might be slightly out, but I think that's reasonable. And we're kind of a far cry from that if we're looking at the last two years, missing out on the tournament. Not all that's Porter's Porter's fault because I think Lon Kruger kind of let things slip a little bit towards the end of his tenure, and Porter's having to rebuild that. And I know things will get easier in yeah. the SEC, but I don't think you I don't think you look at the program and go, okay, it's fine because we're going to an easier conference. I I still think you go, okay. <laughs> Knowing that we're in the best of the best right now, we're still not competitive. So going to the SEC is not going to make us more competitive against the best. No, and my and my last little uh, tidbit on this before we get to our Super Bowl picks here. You, you look at this. You look at the. Um, it's what six, six and a half minutes to go. Oklahoma's up by six points. You figure out a way to 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 hold on, knock off BYU. That's another top twenty-five win. You're seventeen and six. You're back at five hundred in Big Twelve Conference play, and then you have another opportunity at home this upcoming weekend with a. 
you know, a really bad Cowboy basketball team coming to town. It's going to be a sellout crowd. You have an opportunity to go 2-0 and this week, get yourself above 500 in conference play uh, before you approach just as what's a really, you know, grueling back half of the Big 12 conference schedule uh, that Oklahoma faces. But make no mistake about it, Adam, I completely agree with you. Oklahoma, at the bare minimum, should be one of should be one of the teams competing in the March Madness tournament each and every single year. And just because you're going to the SEC, and this is kind of the same with football, your expectations. I don't want to say that your expectations should change because Oklahoma basketball should be better going into a uh, you know a, a, an inferior league like the SEC. I actually think that Oklahoma's brand of basketball, the way that they play stylistically this year, it actually shapes up better against some of the teams in in the uh, in the SEC compared to the Big Twelve. Um, but again, I'm not ready to sit here and indict and indict Porter or press the panic button. Let's see how the season plays out. But you make a good point, Adam. If Oklahoma fails to reach uh, March Madness for the third straight year, then yes, I, I think that going into next season, that seat is uncomfortably hot if you're Porter Mosier. I did not know we were doing Super Bowl picks, but I will go with the Lions. Just tell me who you're cheering for. Just tell me who you're cheering for. Going the for the Lions? Lions? Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Our, our household here was devastated um, that the Lions couldn't uh, pull off the uh, win over the 49ers. That was uh, that was not fun. So I, I don't know how I can pick against the Chiefs here. I, I hate the Chiefs. It's amazing. Like I, I like the rest of America. Love the Chiefs Swifty. early on. The offense was fun. Like I'm talking like five, six, seven years ago. Uh, even when Alex Smith was there, it was like, oh man, this is like a college offense. This is this makes the NFL a lot more like college. It's yeah. a lot more fun. And now it's become the point where it's like I am sick and tired of seeing the Chiefs in the AFC, AFC Championship game. At least this year they had to go on the road and at least earn it. Mm-hmm. for what it's worth but um otherwise they've had everything just kind of handed to them credit to them i guess for for getting the records in the regular season and not have to travel <laughs> on the road but man I'm, I'm tired i i know people go oh taylor swift shouldn't bother you or whatever but you know what if i went to a taylor swift concert and i kept seeing travis kelsey on the big screen i'd be annoyed i'd be like i came here for a taylor swift concert i don't need to see travis kelsey so that's kind of how i feel about it so i'll be rooting for the 49ers but uh, give me the chiefs to win i just think they're you get the better quarterback and patrick mahomes that's hard to beat adam i'm a dallas cowboys fan so i'm used to talking about other teams and having to pick games between other opponents this time of year that's nothing new <laughs> uh for, for me in this fandom but yeah i'm in total agreement with you i I, I don't mind the Chiefs when they when they got things started at the beginning you know at the beginning when Patrick Mahomes got drafted and you know they handed the keys to him after Alex Smith you know stepped away you know that that duo of Andy and Reed and Patrick Mahomes is you know that's that's reaching Brady Belichick esque and uh, you know with some of the uh, quarterback coach duos in the National Football League but again th- this doesn't have anything to do with the Chiefs it's almost kind of the media's fault which is a large portion of things wrong with this country right now uh for, for the reason why there's <laughs> so, more sorry. tyler yeah we're, yeah we're, <laughs> we'll save that for another time i don't want to get canceled on here but but yeah the, the taylor swift frenzy that's going on right now i don't put that on the chiefs i don't even put that on her that's that's on the media yeah you know because viewership you know it, it drives ratings we're all you know they they accomplished their goal. We're sitting here talking about it uh, on, on a podcast, you know, in uh, Oklahoma City and in Denver, Colorado. So they're clearly doing something right. But because of that, I want to see it come down. I want to see it crash and burn. So I'm going to be cheering for Brock Purdy, who never beat Oklahoma. I'm going to cheer for him and the 49ers to uh, to win the Super Bowl on, on Sunday. Did he, right? He didn't he didn't beat Oklahoma, uh, did he? 2020 OU lost to Iowa State. I'm pretty sure he was the quarterback. Did we then. was that was that the year that we rematched him? 
Yeah, and, uh, and then, and then Spencer okay. Rattler got him back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Pretty sure it was a the quarterback there. So at least one, okay. in, one and four in his okay. uh, same, same record as Sam Ellinger. That's fine. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, uh, appreciate everyone watching or listening uh, this evening. We'll be back next week talking about who knows what. Probably uh, softball, of course. We'll be talking maybe some baseball here in the near future. Probably won't do a preview for baseball, but we'll be talking about the team as the season goes on and we start to get to know some of the uh, guys on the team there and, and what the outlook is for the year and, of course, football as we continue to go. So appreciate everyone listening. We will see everyone again next week for the next Mainline.